Right. How are we doing? We're doing good, are we? Okay. So this morning is the last in this series engaged in battle. So it, okay, I know, I know, you know. Um, now you've actually got to win some battles. Yeah, you've got to apply what I've been talking about. Um, the Bible's an incredible uh, gift from God, but it actually doesn't work at all unless we follow it. You know, um, you can talk as much as you like at the front of church and as much as you like in life groups and as much as you like to other people, but if you don't do it, it doesn't work. You know, you get what you believe. If you believe, you receive. If you don't, you won't. That's how it works. And, and so we need to actually implement the things we've been learning, not just talk about the things we've been learning, or even worse still, forget about the things we've been learning and move on to another series because Christmas is coming. And so I want, this morning is a bit of a summary and, and just making a couple of extra points. But last week we talked about what do you do in a crisis? Yeah? So I want you to, uh, we, we're going to talk a little bit about where we, the, the verses that we ended up with last week, which is Psalm 37. So if you want to go to Psalm 37. Now, if you were here last week, I, I did something that I hadn't done for a while, which was stand on a chair. Uh, so I'm going to stand on the chair again so you'll remember what I said when I stood here. Can anybody remember the three things that you will always sort out any crisis? Trust God. Trust God, do good, Leslie's doing well, he's on a roll. Let, yeah, go on, but somebody else with the third one. Help people. So in any crisis, Whatever challenge you're facing in life, there's very simple instructions that God gives us, which is trust God, do good, help people. Amen? Okay, so and, and one of the things that I said is we have to resist this temptation of, instead of going to God, just getting on the phone and having a moan to whoever we can ring up or, or talk to. And there's a really simple principle to remember, isn't there? When, you, when you're tempted to just get on that telephone, have a moan to anybody you can find, and just like, nah, 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 life's terrible. Nah, 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 nah. Instead of just like really helping the enemy by spewing all that out, what you do is you go to the throne and not to the phone. You go to the throne first. Often we go to the throne last, and that's not too helpful. We waste a lot of time by going to the throne last instead of first. And one of the things that we, we, we really focused on last week is that Jesus said when he was preparing the disciples um, for the fact that he was going to be crucified, he, he talked to them at length, and it's John chapter 14 through to 16. And he talked to them at length because he didn't want them to uh, see the things that were going on, to see what he, he was going through and walk away, get offended by, with, with what was going on. And so what he said to them, he gave them a series of instructions. The first of those instructions was, let not your heart be troubled. So whatever we're facing in life, the, the, the very first thing we've got to do is we've got to get hold of our emotions. Because Jesus is saying, let not your heart be troubled. You let not your heart be troubled. It's not something that God does. It's something that you do. You have to get a grip. And the way we get a grip is we refuse to live indulgent. We don't indulge fear. We don't indulge anxiety. We don't indulge worry. We don't indulge panic. 
And, and the way we get a grip on our emotions, and, it, and it's a really, I, I love the way the, the Bible all sorts of fits together in lots of different ways, but it all comes as a complete whole. And the way we get hold of our emotions and, and, and let not our heart be troubled is that we, we make a conscious choice to do that and we refocus ourselves in, on God through praise. Do you remember that? Praise is a really powerful weapon that we have because it focuses on God. So going back to Psalm 37, I'll read verses again, just uh, verse one through five. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, um, some versions translate stand, that stand in your place. Dwell in the land or stand in your place and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will bring it to pass. So there's something really, and, and this is really the last component I want you to talk about what to do in a crisis. Instead of trying to come up with a plan or thrashing about trying to sort it out yourself, the Bible tells us to do something completely different, which is to delight ourselves in the Lord. And they're kind of polar opposites, aren't they? One, we're trying to solve everything, make everything okay, come up with ideas, get friends involved, coming up with their ideas, uh, struggling away, trying to sort things out. And the Bible says, actually, no, your first part of call is to delight yourself in the Lord. And that, that's not easy to do that when the crisis hits. So here's my clue for you. Do that all the time. Then you don't have to worry about doing it when a crisis hits. You see, the thing about crises, it, crises is once they're there, there's not a lot you can do to prepare yourself for it. You have to have done the preparation beforehand. So part of our, what, what, what um, is really important is that we live a lifestyle that prepares us for crises. Because crises will come because we have an enemy. And we live in a fallen world full of fallen people. And apart from that, we manage to mess up pretty well ourselves. So crises will come. And, and the way to deal with the crisis is not wait till it comes and then worry about it. The way to deal with it is to delight ourselves in the Lord and not worry about it when it comes. Does that, does that make sense? And so, you see, God... God knows what we need. I mean, I, I know you know that, but do you know that? I know you can say it, but do you know it, that God actually is interested enough in you to know what you need? And what he's interested in is, will you trust him for what you need? And so... He's making this point that he, he will give us the desires of our heart. But the desires of our heart come out of a relationship with him. Now, I want you, I want you to see this because you, you, 
We sometimes, I think, I hear this verse quoted so often, and it's kind of, God will give you the desires of your heart. Well, you need to really read it carefully, because he'll give you the desires of your heart, he won't give you the desires of your flesh. Do you understand that? You've, your heart is your spirit and your soul. Your flesh is your soul and your body. And, and God is, is trying to help us grow to be like Christ. And so he, he, he's after our hearts. And so he's not going to just indulge our flesh and bail us out every time we, we mess up because we did stupid fleshly things. He's, he's after our heart being after his heart and our desires, he'll, he'll meet them all because he actually knows what we need and he knows that if we go after the desires of our flesh, it's not good for us. It will seriously screw up our lives. It'll screw up our relationships. It'll screw up our health. It'll screw up all sorts of things. So God wants to give us the desires of our heart, not our flesh. And I think that's, I think I want you to understand that because what God's really asking us to do when he says trust him, trust God, is he, he says it slightly differently somewhere else. He says, cast your cares on the Lord. Now, that cast is like casting your nets. So it's not just like, oh God, please, please sort it, please. It's actually a forceful, you, you cast it, you make a conscious decision to, to cast your cares on the Lord. Sometimes it says, roll over your cares onto the Lord. Now, if you roll them over or you cast them, my advice to you is you don't then try and hold them back in again because that's pointless. We're meant to cast our cares on, on the Lord. And, you know, it's one of those verses that you read and you think, yeah, 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 okay. But just to remind you again, we have to do these things, not talk about doing these things because it's only the doing of things that actually produces any difference. And I remember... Um, I think, I think we used to use it on a, on a training course we did called Accelerate, but it was a, a talk that um, George Pearson's from Eagle Mountain Church in Texas did about um, one of his series about how, basically how to, how to survive as a pastor, I think it was, was the, the gist of it. And he was, he was talking about a time when he wasn't in charge of the church, but he was actually in charge of Kenneth Copeland's ministry, like the, the executive director. And uh, they were like millions behind budget and he was like, he was just tearing his hair out and he was terrible, you know, like, what am I going to do? And, and so he went to see, um, he made, I, I don't know how you do this, he made an appointment to see his father-in-law. So <laughs> he, went to see, he went to see Kenneth Copeland and he, and he, and he said, um, and, and he sat down and, and he started explaining all about the difficulties and the crisis they were in. And, and Kenneth, apparently, he, he was stood there and he was in his, like, his dressing gown and his slippers. And so George went on for like five minutes and Kenneth said, just, just hold on a minute. I just need to do something. So he walked slowly over to um, his, his fridge and he opened the fridge and he got a glass out and he filled his glass really slowly with milk. And George is going, you just don't understand. You just don't understand how difficult what we, we're in a crisis. And he poured himself his glass of milk and he said... 
I know how we get out of this crisis, George. We roll our cares onto the Lord, and I'm going to drink my glass of milk if you don't mind. <laughs> and, and that's really how faith in its fullness works. And, and that's, that's what we should look for in ourselves. Instead of responding in panic, <coughs> just taking a step back, delighting ourselves in God and trusting him. Now, I know that's not easy, but if we don't do it, the alternative is we have to sort it. And, you know, I, I'm now of an age that I now understand that me trying to sort it isn't necessarily the best option because I got in the mess in the first place. So what, you know, like if I've got to sort it, I might just end up digging myself deeper, which I very often did. So I need to trust God. And we trust God by rolling our cares on him. And, and if we confide in him, he says, I will bring it to pass. I will bring to pass what you need. Let me talk to you just a little bit about believing the word. Cheryl and I have been on this journey for, I guess, 17, 18 years now, where we first really got this understanding that you actually have to believe the word, not just read it. That we're believers, not achievers, and we're believers and not readers. That we have to actually believe the word. And it's not, you know, it's not been like a, a, a very, it's not been a perfectly smooth upward curve. But the truth is this, that believing the word has changed us. And believing the word has changed situation and mess after mess in our lives. So we can say it works. And we can also say when we don't believe God and we try and sort it ourselves, it doesn't work. So you need to learn from our experience. You know, this friend of ours called Andrew, Andrew Womack, and he says, you can learn from the school of hard knocks, but what if there's a better way? Learn from other people how they learn from their experience. And, and I'm telling you that if you believe the word, it works. And it, and it will sort things out. So what do you do in a crisis? You trust God, you do good, you help people. It's not intuitive, but that's, how, that's what you do. Now, when it, we talk about delighting ourselves in God and, and preparing our hearts, that brings us on to something really fundamental to us as believers but the church of the, the state of the church in the UK and, and in the western world and it's this how can I put this being a Christian is not a Sunday morning event it's a lifestyle. Being a Christian is not a Sunday morning event. It's a lifestyle. And if we think that Christianity works by us coming to church on a Sunday and doing nothing with it for the rest of the week, we are sadly deluded. And we can 
say it and we can write and have a moan on Facebook or wherever we have our moans these days. As much we like about how God's not reviving England and what state it's in and all these things are happening. But the responsibility is ours. And as long as we, we, we indulge this approach to church that it is only a Sunday morning event and we just get on with the rest of our lives and because we went to church on Sunday, everything's okay, it isn't. God needs believers to be believers. He needs Christians to be anointed seven days a week, not one and a half hours a week. And so we delight in God because we give him our life. You know, uh, quite a number of years ago, and some of you will have heard me say this, God really asked me this, really, you, you know when you're praying, and you, you really sense God trying to communicate something to you. And he asked me this, uh, I thought it was a really unfair question and a difficult question because he knew the answer. And he asked me this and he said, it's odd, like, Mark, when did you give your life to me? And so I'm one of these people that knows exactly when it was. I, I, I know the moment. It was 10.30 p.m., 17th of March, 1975, in my bedroom. I said the prayer at the back of a little booklet called Journey Into Life. So I know. So I said that. God, I thought, for once, I'm going to get the right answer with God. When did you give your life to me? He said, and I, so I said, it was then. You know it was then. And he said, yeah. And he said, so when did you take it back? You see, we gave our life to Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and if we want the things that, that Christ says we can have, then we need to live from who we are now and not who we were. And we need to be that person, not just indulge our flesh for most of the week and come to church on a Sunday morning. Not just think that, that Sunday morning is about blessing my job or my work, my, my career. We're here for a cause on this earth. We're here for a purpose, and the purpose is the kingdom. And so when it says delight yourself in the Lord, that's what we do. We delight in God. And it's a lot more satisfying than delighting ourselves in all the other things that are filling our day. And you know the, the great thing about delighting yourself in the Lord? You can do it wherever you are. You can, I've, I've found out you can really annoy people at traffic lights if you sing at the top of their voice, what, with your window wound down, worship songs, it's great. They're looking at you and they're making faces at you. But it's okay, it's better than racing off. As a, that's my alternative, racing them for the traffic lights. I'm going for the worship song at the traffic light. But you can delight yourself in the God. You can delight yourself in the God. Alex, you can do it when you're chopping meat up. You can, you can do it wherever you are. Surely you can do it when you're shopping. I'm not advising more shopping, but you can do it when you're shopping. Olive, you can do it when you're teaching people and, and, and helping people to speak clearly. You can do it wherever you are because you can delight yourself in the Lord all the time. There's nobody can take that away from you and stop you. You don't have to go to a private room or a little cupboard somewhere. You can do it. How do you delight yourself in the Lord? You think about him. You talk to him. You share your day with him. And you listen to him. You know, it says here, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the works of iniquity. I said last week, I, it, the older version says, fret not thyself. 
So I'm, I'm, I want you to just hear that again. Fret not thyself or fret not yourself. Because since I wrote this, I've been kind of observing things. I, 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 be, I have to admit that if you've had a conversation with me in the last couple of weeks, it, it, it was kind of unfair because I was observing the sort of things we talk about. And, and not just that, the, the girl on the checkout at Waitrose and, and all sorts of things. What do we talk about? And, and what I've discovered is we fret about all sorts of things. Do you, do you all know what fretting is? It's like our dog does it with a board. Yeah. Worries and, and complains and, you know, we, we, we just worry about everything and we, we think of all the things that might happen. And we, we, when we were in Preston, uh, our pastor Buster, he, he, was, he was just brilliant at this and because... We spend so much of our day worrying about things which have not happened, might not happen, and probably never will happen. But we speculate. And Buster used to say to us, and, and he used to pull anybody up who, who was doing it in the church, he said, you're speculating. And he used to say, are you going to live in reality or are you going to live in speculation? And a lot of people, uh, my, my market research survey says a lot of people live in speculation most of the time and worry about all sorts of things that never come to pass and never were going to come to pass. And so we fret about all sorts of things that we don't have to fret about. What's the antidote to that? What's the pill we take? We take a trust God pill, don't we? And then we don't have to waste our time imagining all the things that might go wrong. We can trust God and get on with what might go right. You know, as we have really, I'm going off on one now. We have, we have really interesting approaches as, as believers and, and Christians. You know, I, t I talk to a, a lot of pastors and a lot of other people about healing. Because there's a lot of people who say they believe in healing but never pray for anybody. There's a whole load more people who say that, that God doesn't do that. Well, he does, because we've seen it lots of times here. And, and he'll talk about healing. And, and when I get down to the crux of it with the pastor, I, I ask them this question. Why, why won't you pray for people to be healed in front of your church? And their answer is, what if God doesn't heal them? And my answer is, what if he does? What if he does? What if you see a miracle at the front of your church? What if he does? You see, trusting God has an element of risk attached to it. And, and risk is a funny thing. It's only risky until you see it work. And then it's not risky at all. See, faith doesn't require us to go where we can go. Faith requires us to go where we can't go and only he can. So when we trust God, we need to step out. Now, trusting God doesn't mean we sit back and do absolutely nothing. So if I've given you that impression, that, I, I just want to correct that now. Trusting God means we roll our cares onto him and we do do something. 
In fact, we do a couple of things. First thing we do is this. We do good. You don't just trust God, you actually do something and you do good. There is nothing, according to God, there's nothing better to do in the middle of a crisis than trust him and get on with helping other people while he sorts out your problem. You see, this is kind of what God is saying is you focus on taking care of other people and I'll sort your needs. You remember uh, the disciples and they came to Jesus uh, well, you might not, and I can't quite remember the reference, but I'll look it up if anybody wants to know. But the disciples come to Jesus at one point in time and they, and they, tell, and they look at Jesus and they think, well, he must be really tired now and he must be hungry because he's been ministering to crowds all day. And they come and say, Jesus, I think we've done enough for now. Come and get some food. And Jesus gives them this response. My food is to do the will of the Father. Which is a bit of an odd response, isn't it? But it's not, is it? What he's saying is, if I help other people, I'm trusting God to take care of me. Whereas our response is often, I need to take care of me. And when I've got me okay, I'll help other people. And the trouble is we never get to help other people because we're too busy taking care of me because the enemy knows that's a really good tactic. So he'll just send you crisis after crisis and you'll always be taking care of you and never helping anybody else. And guess what everybody else is doing? Taking care of themselves and not helping anybody else. So you can't get any help when you're in your crisis because everybody else is looking after themselves. And there is a problem in the body of Christ if we don't put trust in God first and helping people while he looks after our issues. And so we need to be a people who help each other because it's an important part of God helping us. Are, are you getting that? Because God needs us in this world. He needs us to show his love to people. He needs us to tell people about him. He needs us to be um, walking representatives of what he's like. The Bible calls us ambassadors of Christ. So... Here's a question. If you're an ambassador of Christ, what do people think Christ is like when they meet you? You know, honestly. Because the thing about a renewed mind is it needs to come out as a renewed life. Otherwise, you haven't got a renewed mind. You're just deluding yourself. So when people meet us, they need to see Christ because that's the only thing that's going to have any effect in this world we live in. What does seeing Christ look like to other people? It looks like us being kind to them. It looks like us caring about them. It looks like us taking time for them. It looks like being quick to forgive. It looks like not mourning and complaining all the time like they do. There's a, there's a, a really interesting thing is that People have this habit of digging themselves so deep in messes that they can't get out again. Here's my advice to you. Don't get in the pit with them. You can't get out either if you're in the pit with them. You need to stand on the side and pull them up. So they don't need to see us 
moaning, complaining, twining, as my northern says, and, and, and really just being like them. They need to see Christ. So they need to see us being good, being kind, being loving, being caring, helping. Because ultimately what they see is not what's going on inside us, they see what's on the outside of us. So it's important that what we do externally shows Christ to them. Are, are you with that? So we trust God, we do good. Go with, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, you can go to the, the passage, but I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 9. God is faithful. He is reliable, trustworthy, and ever true to his promise. He can be depended upon. And through him, you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember, that, say that word, fellowship. 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 But I urge you believers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you be in full agreement in what you say. There be no divisions or factions among you but you be perfectly united in your way of thinking and in your judgment about matters of the faith. Let me tell you something. We are never going to agree on every little thing that we read. We're all going to have slightly different views about what we believe. What Paul's saying is, I get that. I don't even agree with myself sometimes. I get that. But it's how you handle that that's the really important thing. See, I, I, the legendary buster. His other thing, apart, one of the other things he used to say is, uh, and he used to come up to me and we... He'd ask me a question, because he always asked leading questions, and I'd answer, and uh, engage me in discussion. And then I'd, I'd express an opinion on something, and I was a bit more fiery in those days. And uh, he'd say to me, Mark, I've got a question for you. I should, Bob, can you say that? I've, Mark, I've got a question for you. That's exactly how he said it, because he, he was Scottish as well. It was from Kinlock leaving. Can you just say that again? No, Mark, I've got a question for you. <laughs> and this is the question. Would you rather be right or reconciled? And my answer all the time was, I'd rather be right. Because I, no, but this is the point. We can go, oh dear, but then we behave the opposite. Because we all have our pet things that we want to prove ourselves right on. And you know, other than Jesus died for us and gave his life for us and rose again to give us new life, there isn't anything we, we should be for. You know, that's the only thing that matters. That we're saved by grace through faith and that's it. That we don't, and, but we argue about all sorts of stuff. 
And and I saw it as so you think you gotta say this is like twenty years ago. And and I felt it was my my role to defend the truth of what I knew. And you know, honestly, twenty years on, I'm sick of Christians defending the truth of what they think they know and having a go at other Christians. Because I've come to see that I'd rather be reconciled than right. Because ultimately, I'm not trying to prove a point. I'm trying to show the love of Christ. That doesn't mean we compromise and, and we, we, we call right, wrong and wrong right. But there's all sorts of stuff we fall out about and we feel we need to dig in on that doesn't matter. And yet we argue about it and we moan about it and we fall out about it. And, and Paul is saying, in that atmosphere, you're going to get problems. If you always feel you want to prove your point, you're going to get problems. And the reason you're going to get problems is you're going to be so intent on proving your point, you're going to lose the real importance of the fact that love is the most important thing. And when you lose that from your focus, you cannot hear God. Because you're so intent on proving your point, you can't hear God. <laughs> because you're not prepared to go, uh, even accept that you may have something to learn from somebody else. You know, I read loads of stuff I disagree with. I read a lot of stuff I agree with. But here's what I do. When I read stuff I disagree with, I sit back and I think through, and I always ask myself the question, is it me that's wrong? Is there something that I should learn here? Is there something that, that I need to, to understand so that I can be more like Christ? And, and we have to be teachable in that way. When it says, do you remember, I, I got you to repeat that word. God is faithful, he's reliable, trustworthy, and ever true to his promise, he can be depended on. Through him, you were called into fellowship, say fellowship, fellowship. with his son, Jesus Christ. Here's why I want you to say fellowship, because we have this like, idea that fellowship is some sort of, I don't know, we all sit around cross-legged on the floor Somebody plays acoustic guitar and we sing Kumbaya eating out-of-date rich tea biscuits and a cup of tea. That's not fellowship. That's not what that word is. That word there is koinonia. Koinonia means partition, pa partnership in or participation in. And what it's saying is you and I are partners with God. We're in full partnership with him. We, it says fellowship with his son Jesus Christ. We're in full partnership with Jesus. We're in full participation with Jesus. And what that means is in the middle of a problem, God is in partnership with me in solving the problem. That means instead of me having to come up with all the answers, I have a partner who can come up with the answer. So what I need to do is listen to him and, and give him weight and, and work in partnership with him instead of against him or ignoring him. 
I'm not going to solve my problem by worrying and fretting and getting angry and panicking. But a lot of us do it, and I do it sometimes. I'm not going to solve my problem because I have all the ideas and I know everything, because I don't. But I'm in partnership with somebody who has an infinite supply of ideas and does know everything. And so he can. So I need to, to partner with Christ instead of going it alone. And more than that, I need to partner with others in the body of Christ who have wisdom that I don't. So when we, when we set ourselves up to be able to deal with tough times, to deal with crises, to deal with the ups and downs of life, to deal with all the challenges of life, we need to remember that we are partnering with God, but also we need to remember that we're partnering with each other. And so what Paul is saying here is, I urge you believers by the name of Jesus that all of you be in full agreement with what you say and there be no divisions or faction among you, but you may perfectly united in the way of your thinking and in your judgment about matters of faith. That's not being perfectly united about every minutiae. It's being perfectly united that we're going to trust God and put him first in our lives. That, that we're going to rely on God. We're going to look to God. We're going to believe the word and do the word. Because we believe the word, we're going to put into actions what we say. And, and what it's saying is, you know, be united in what you say. It's saying pursue reconciliation rather than being always having to prove your point. Because what, what's at the heart of this is that if we're going to stand, we have to stand together. And to do that, you need to treat as really precious this word family or church, your church body you're part of. You treat it as precious is what he's saying. And, and so you treat it as precious because when you allow, you know, dissension and, and strife and offence and unforgiveness to come in, How can I put this? You let the evil in with it. You let the devil in. So you, like, let's say somebody here is in the middle of a crisis and we're all arguing, falling out with each other uh, in strife. What have we done? We've pulled away from the person who needs us to do good and help them. But not only that, we've let the enemy into our midst who's amplifying all the negative stuff. So somebody in a crisis, we've surrounded them with negative stuff instead of faith and belief and love. So we, we need to guard our hearts that we don't let that in. Uh, James says, um, where there's envy and strife, there lurks confusion and every evil thing. So we have to work really hard on our own hearts to keep strife out. You know, we, we, we were in a, a church in Preston and it was, it was a really strong church, probably about 150 people, Anglican church, and, and strife got in and in the next 18 months it went to 20 people. And the enemy didn't have to do a thing. We did it to ourselves. 
So you've got to be really careful because we can be as right as right as right and still be totally wrong because we're here to love. You know, we, we all need a safe place. We don't want a place that amplifies the crisis. We need a safe place. Jesus said this, How By this, the world you will know you are my disciples because your doctrine is perfect. Or by this, the world will know you are my disciples because you had more spirit-led words than the other person. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples because you're a Calvinist or a Lutheran or an Armenian or a lot of things that we can't even pronounce. By this, all men will know you're my disciples because you're perfect. By this, all men will know you're my disciples because you built a big church. By this, all men will know you're my disciples because you worship loud and clear and wonderfully. Jesus didn't say any of those things. So let's stop behaving like he did. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. So what do we do? How do we win the battle? How do we handle a crisis? We prepare our hearts by delighting ourselves in the Lord and making that part of our life. We love each other. We forgive each other. We pursue recon reconciliation all the time, straight away. Because we want to be people who love each other. We want to be people that people go, I can see Christ in them. And then it's simple. So let me give you some advice. In the middle of a crisis, stand on a chair, remember this moment and go, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to do good and I'm going to help people and I'm trusting him to sort it out. If you do that, he will do it 100% of the time because he says he will. And he cannot lie. So we, what are we going to do? Let's say it. Trust God, do good, help people, all the time. Amen. Let's finish.